that reading we've just heard from the Gospel of Matthew um, is a momentous story. It's a pivotal moment in the life of Jesus. And the context of where this event actually happens is really important because the disciples were with Jesus in a town called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, it was a village about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And it was a fascinating village because it was sort of the uh, retirement village uh, for Roman officials. And it was built in a valley surrounded by hills at the foot of Mount Hermon. And um, since the time of Alexander the Great, um, it had been a capital of uh, religious cults. Caesarea Philippi was thought to be the place uh, where the god Pan was born. Um, and there were temples and there were idols aplenty for Pan that were built into uh, the hills around the village of Caesarea Philippi. And likewise, there were uh, other um, temples and idols of the god Baal Hermon, and there was a temple there dedicated to the god Zenodorus. So as the disciples of Jesus walked through Caesarea Philippi, they would have looked up to the hills around them, and they would have seen all the temples around them, and they would have seen the idols uh, glistening in the sunshine, and all the images of the gods around them. And it was at that moment that Jesus asks them the question, who do you say that I am? So in the midst of all the gods in the known world, who do you say that I am? And Peter turns to Jesus and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus doesn't deny it. And probably the disciples then wanted to go out and tell everybody and shout the good news to people to introduce them to the Messiah who had come for us. But then we're told something very puzzling about Jesus' response in verse 20. It says this, Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So Jesus wanted them to keep quiet about his identity, but he went on to talk to them, and this is where we join our reading from today, about how the Son of Man would suffer and be rejected and would be killed. It's strange, isn't it? He wanted them to keep quiet about the good news, but he wanted to talk about the bad news. And Peter is completely indignant about this and we read that he began to rebuke Jesus. Uh, Peter had spent months with Jesus. Uh, he'd watched him healing people, he'd heard him give really wonderful teaching and now he's being confronted with a future that is filled with weakness and passivity and vulnerability. The idea that Jesus is going to suffer and die. And of course Peter doesn't want that. He doesn't want to hear it. Uh, he wants to hear about a strong God, uh, not one who would be crucified. But you know, in the eyes of God, strength looks very different to how we often see strength as human beings. Um, in the eyes of God, strength is more often 
measured in terms of vulnerability and sacrifice. Um, strength is measured by our willingness uh, by our willingness to endure all things for his name. And of course, that was the example that Jesus was just about to show his disciples, um, that his strength would be exhibited through his weakness on the cross. And God wants us to live our lives like that as well, not to be strong in the traditional sense of things, but to be strong in faith by living vulnerably and with our weaknesses and humbly, not trying to lord it over other people, but by serving others. In verse 24 of this passage, uh, Jesus says this, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. There's a real cost to discipleship. Uh, We can't have God on our own terms. We can't create um, a cosy religion or a comfortable way of being as a church. As Jesus says here, those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And so this passage then fundamentally is about our life. It's about our identity. Where do we find our identity as individuals and as a church? If we find our identity in the preference of our comfort zones, then we will lose our identity because um, that's the nature of an impermanent, um, ever-changing, temporary world. But if we find our identity, our life, um, solely in Christ, then we will save our identity because Christ is eternal. Now, I am constantly challenged every day of my life, and perhaps you are too, to differentiate between uh, what is of God in my life and what is of my ego in my life. And sometimes uh, I can dress my ego up in such a way that I think it's of God. But I need to constantly uh, be trying to lay aside the things of the ego and allow God to be at work in me. And that's what this passage is about. What does it mean for us to die to self? What does it mean for us to die to our own ego? What does it mean for us to lay down our comfortable images of Christ and the church for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel? Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. We are called to constantly die to the ego and live to Christ. Now, of course, for Jesus and for us, There was um, a Good Friday experience to go through. For Jesus and for us, there was crucifixion and resurrection to go through. But we know how the story ends. This crucified Messiah will ascend to the heavens, taking his splintered and scarred body 
into the eternal presence of the Father, where he will be glorified forever. And I wonder if we can be courageous enough as individuals and as a church to embrace the splintering and the scarring and the pain of ego death, the pain of self-sacrifice, knowing that we too will be resurrected with Christ and brought into the presence of the Father for all eternity. As Jesus says in this passage, in verse 27, For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what they've done. Those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Let's do what we can to die to ego and to live to Christ.